Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Talk is Cheap, and that's why we have a podcast. I am your host, Will. I want to begin this episode by letting everyone know this one's going to be a long one, a lengthy lengthy discussion where I go into a lot. There's a lot of details. There's a lot of projections. There's a lot of knowledge. I'm, I'm going to be dumping a lot, really, on you. With that said... If you're at work, I highly suggest that you stand up right now, announce that you're going to the bathroom for a two-flush mega shit, and get ready to have your mind blown. I believe it's time to let you all in on a little secret that many that may give you the last push you need to finally stand up for yourselves in the workplace. Many of you are like me. You're tired of making the wealthy wealthier, as your ideas and productivity massively outclass the generations that came before you. Or you are just starting to see the cracks in the world and want to know what the fuck is going on. Not too long ago, a couple of weeks, I was talking to a colleague of mine about the current state of the world. She's an older gal, not too far from retirement, and her view on the modern world prompted me to do some thinking. Now, you may have heard this phrase before. Chances are you've heard this term daily for about 18 months now. And it's a phrase that has all but permeated our lives. No one wants to work. Yeah, okay, and don't be fooled though. This phrase is corporate speak designed by committee to elicit the most sympathy for big corpo and our darling economy. What we are seeing is what myself and others are calling the great resignation, which means that more and more people since the pandemic have decided to quit their jobs for greener pastures. In July of 2021, 4 million Americans quit their jobs. Such resignations peaked in April, but what is more astounding is that the record-breaking number of job openings at the end of July, the same month that 4 million Americans quit, was 10.9 million available jobs. What's interesting is the demographics of all these resignations. People my age, mid-30s to mid-40s, are fleeing their jobs at astounding rates. People of all ages are fleeing jobs that are notoriously difficult to work in, like food service, hospitality, and retail. My colleague didn't seem to understand why there's a so-called shortage of workers. Jobs are plentiful, the quote-unquote free money has stopped, so what's the problem, she says. Well, there's a few things, I argued. One, people are tired of being treated like shit. This is perhaps the biggest factor. People are starting to realize that they aren't happy and have, and want to change. The service industry is brutal to its workers who all have to be masters at customer service even when the customer is clearly wrong. Most of the time, the customer is clearly wrong. People can only take so much abuse, be it from customers, their own supervisors, or their overbearing workloads before they snap and say, fuck it. Secondly, that free money that everyone keeps bitching about was barely enough to keep the lights on, much less pay for anything else, and may have been the catalyst to the throngs of people suddenly realizing what it was like to not have to suffer. A lot of people got their unemployment plus up to $600 during the lockdown. For many, it effectively doubled their income per week. Why would anyone in their right mind want to go back to work and make half of what they were making sitting at home? It's not that everyone is lazy. Sure, there are some that took advantage of it, but most people probably had a chance to see what true happiness was like. They got to spend time with their kids, reconnect with their loved ones, and find themselves. The prospect of going back to the factory or the office was just too terrible for them to consider, and they used the money that they were getting and the time that they had to find other, better employment. Three, 
the money hasn't gotten better. Almost every company that survived the lockdowns thrived when they lifted. Most companies that I tend to look at not only thrived, but boasted record-breaking profits. The top 1% of Americans saw their wealth increase by 70% over the course of of the pandemic. But did your wages go up? Part of the Democrats' election promises was to raise the national minimum wage. Funny how we haven't heard anything about that for a while, huh? But don't worry, a bunch of student debt will be forgiven, and our government is going to spend like it's never spent before. The workloads have increased even more than they were pre-pandemic, as positions that aren't being filled are still there. There are protests to taking the vaccine, which, okay. The constant threat of contracting the still-going-on infection, and yet still no peace of mind from employers. Inflation has spiked again and wages are still stagnant. Every employer wants more work done for the same, if not less money, and people have just had enough. The area that I live in is starting to catch on. A good number of places are offering 14 to $15 an hour to start, but not where I work. Of course not, right? Nope. The starting wage here is $12 an hour for the job I do. My daughter just got a seasonal job at Kohl's. You know, Kohl's, that multi-billion dollar national-wide company. Yeah. Their starting wage, $11 an hour. For the busy holiday season where they make the most of their money and they can't even be bothered to pay a normal wage. Shit. Mick fucking Donald's is paying up to $14. But that's the rub. That 14 is just to get you into the door under the hope that you'll make that, but most likely not even close. So why work for shit wages at a place that will run you into the ground when you can work for less shittier wages at a place less likely to run you into the ground? Fourth, there is no balance. There are 168 hours in a week. 40 hours of that is spent in mandatory slavery to live. If we get eight hours of sleep each night, that's 56 more hours gone. So 96 hours is just spent working and sleeping. Leaving what? 72 hours for friends and family? But wait, just because you work eight hours a day doesn't mean that all your time spent with work, right? What about your commute? What about the time you spend getting ready for work? What about the time you spend winding down from work? All of that extra time eats into sleep or friends and family, usually both. I drove 30 minutes each way to get to the factory. Figure 30 minutes each morning for my shit shower and shave, and there's another hour and a half added to my work day. And I didn't even and I didn't just work eight hours. I had to be there before the shift start time, or I was late. My lunch was unpaid, so I had to be there at least eight and a half hours. Now we're up to ten. My job was also super stressful, and during the summer I worked up to twelve hour days, if not more. Add on to that the downtime needed to face my family without ripping their heads off, and you're averaging more like 11 to 12 hours per day that I needed to devote strictly to work. That only leaves 12 hours left for family and sleep. Guess which one suffered? Oh, but you got the weekends, right? Plenty of time there. Yeah, sure. When I used Saturday morning to sleep in and recover from the week, I had to do all the shopping and honey-do lists, like mow the lawn or fix something that broke. And by Sunday, all I'm thinking about is, God damn it, I have to work in the morning. So the cycle starts anew. There is no balance for most people. Family, friends, and mental health all come tertiary to the demands of work. It's not even second or third fiddle. Food and sleep come after work, the car upkeep to get back and forth to work, and then family. It is completely asinine. What do these four things add up to? Well, 
If you paid attention to my first episode, you'll be familiar with the term I use called anti-work, which was also the name of the episode. The anti-work movement could quite literally reshape the entire system of global economics and make for lasting change. I'm going to preface the rest of this by saying I'm not a financial advisor, and the words you're hearing should not be regarded as financial advice. They are, however, facts. As a quality laborer, which anyone capable of working, don't let you fool, don't let anyone fool you and tell you that you're not worthwhile, is your work value to the same degree your work has value to the same degree mine does. And you all need to start recognizing that. If you're getting paid less than 1% of the total amount of money generated by the work you do, you're getting screwed. If you do not receive a 5.5% raise at any time this year, you're getting screwed as inflation is at its highest level since the October 2008 financial crisis. Our employers are keenly aware of this, as just about every company that survived the initial economic downturn from the onset of the pandemic is currently seeing record revenues driven by this inflation. And what are corporations doing with this dirge of revenue flooding in? Stock buybacks, of course. Seems irrational, right? Why wouldn't they pay their employees a better wage to survive this inflationary period to show you that you're valuable? It's because of two reasons. One, they're greedy. Two, they don't want you to know the secret sauce. Here's the secret. You are the catalyst that will drive change. And I'll explain why after a little macroeconomic lesson. So what is driving inflation and why, you ask? Most of the wealth generated by the top 1% has been created through assets such as the stock market, real estate, and most recently, cryptocurrency. The top 10% controls a record 89% of all Wall Street's portfolios value, which means that the remaining 90% of us have access to only 11% of the wealth generation machine. Unless you have roughly $1.2 million in net worth, you have an anchor tied around your bootstrap since the moment you were born, especially if you were born after 1980. This gap has widened considerably since the productivity curve and the wages separated in the 1980s thanks to Reagan-era economic policy. I will come back to that fucker in another video. Episode. Episode. I don't do videos yet. With the vast majority of money ever created being locked up in bank accounts, assets of the very few, constant adjustments to the economic policy are necessary to prevent another global financial catastrophe. This is due to a mechanic known as money velocity, or simply the amount of hard cash available to spend in the real economy. Despite all of the stimulus checks printed since 2008, all of the quantitative easing done by the government, all the childcare dollars entering millions of Americans' checking accounts, it's amounted to nothing more than a band-aid as we continue sailing into uncharted territory. There is simply not enough cash circling within the lower 90% of the economy to continue to prop up the all-time high stock market, the all-time high housing market, or the all-time high debt ceiling. Therefore, you have inflation. The Fed, which is a private organization of bankers that self-regulates our central bank policy, a conflict of interest that we have ignorantly ignored, accepted. Let me say that again. A conflict of interest that we have ignorantly accepted since its inception in 1913 is in a tough spot. They cannot lower interest rates like they did back in 2000 to 2005 to drive economic growth because they're practically at 0% already. It's become apparent that all the Fed can do is ease back on the money print, 
the money printer in November this this year and pray that it all works out. What that means is the Fed has just been making new currency. Since we're not backed by the gold standard, we're backed by credit, you can just keep printing money. The value of the dollar goes down, but there's more dollars going around. So in their mind, oh, hey, it balances out. It's a grim picture, you say, but what does this have to do with anti-work? Little do most people know, but credit is the driving force of our economy, not cash. Simply put, credit monetizes time. The more cash you have on hand, the more credit capabilities you have. More credit capabilities mean that you can take more risks over time to improve your way of life. Those risks can turn out to be fruitful, and you could literally pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, a.k.a. the American dream. However, with an estimated $28.43 trillion in debt held by Americans and only $2 trillion in hard cash circulating within the United States, it seems that we haven't been too successful at pulling up our collective bootstraps. We are drowning in debt. And the only solution to the money institutions utilize, fuck that up again. We are drowning in debt. And the only solution the money institutional institutions utilized in the last 20 years was simply to create more. Why? Answer, because they're fucked. A company worth $1 billion on the New York Stock Stock Exchange has the capability of borrowing more money than individuals can ever conceive. These transactions are called corporate bonds and are described as debt whenever referenced in quarterly earnings reports or on financial media. These corporate bonds are agreements between a corporation and a money lender to borrow large sums of money to achieve short-range goals under the commitment that will be repaid back fully at a designated point in time in the future. If you've been following the Evergrande story out of China, this is what's being referenced in all the news articles. In Evergrande's case, the amount of money owed to global financial institutions holding its bonds far exceeded the amount of money coming in at the time those bonds became due. Most companies tend to downplay these problems when first discovered and typically will borrow even more money to achieve the short-term needs while creating a bigger problem for itself in the future. Sound familiar? The executives of these companies are knowingly playing with fire at the expense of the labor force that props them up, and investors who invest in these companies on public markets based on knowingly, knowingly inaccurate financial reporting of their current situation. Eventually, though, something has to give. When bonds aren't paid, the money expected from those bonds never arrives to the creditor. The creditor needs to manufacture money to cover it, and if they cannot, they need to do a bond deal of their own and borrow. Coincidentally, the largest bank bond deals ever to occur have happened this year. During all of this financial growth, people are still borrowing and borrowing in absurd amounts of money. So it seems like everyone is clean out of cash. By borrowing against their own debt to pay their short-term obligations, banks are lining up yet another credit crisis, much like what we had in 2008, but worse. Holy shit, Batman, what does that mean for us, the laborers? Well, because these bonds are being created by the 1% for the 1%, we are not going to be able to change how that mechanically works. Again, Credit is the driver of rapid economic growth, so demonizing debt is simply ignorant if you're looking to see significant changes in your lifetime. Since the 1% have access to rules that keep them as the 1%, there's not much we can do if we continue the course and continue to labor despite all the information I've given to you today. 
Unfortunately, because we are in late-stage capitalism, where even the mainstream media is openly, openly hailing monopolies, something that Theodore Roosevelt would be rolling over his grave about, finding a solution falls on us. We must start hitting the top 1% where it hurts, break their interconnected support, and coerce them to make the rules of the money game fair. Missing bond payments because of lack of capital is how we, the laborers, break that support. Once major monopolies start to default because they are missing their bond payments, dramatic change can finally begin. As a laborer, by not being productive, either by quitting or willfully not working, you drastically limit the ability for these monopolies to create an income to achieve their debt obligations. Now, I know what you're thinking. I can hear it. But, but, but what about my bills and my debts? What if someone just takes my job after I quit? This is known as FUD fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And this is how the 1% preys on your emotions. You've been programmed your entire life to believe that you must have a job to be successful in life. This couldn't be further from the truth, and it has created an extremely unhealthy obsession around money, a human-made construct that enables the haves to subjugate the have-nots within our collective society. The reality is that your life is more valuable to you than any amount of money. Once you start putting yourself above the obligations and expectations of others that others have put on you, you start to feel free yourself from the mental anguish of our economic system. That freedom is priceless. No job will come close to giving you the satisfaction of controlling your destiny through the choices that you make. Let that sink in for a second. Once you start thinking for yourself, you'll be amazed at how the universe folds around you. You may go through hardship, but hardship on your own terms is worth more than the wage slavery you've been subjugated to your whole life. Wage slavery is something I will come back to at a later time. Spending 40 hours per week to find your own happiness and life's purpose is infinitely more valuable than spending 40 hours a week to fund someone else's happiness. What everyone needs to know is that you're not alone and you're starting to see it. Quote, the implications of this shift could be long lasting. As spoken by a company called Wapro, which is owned by Amazon. Fuck Amazon. I don't give a shit if you're a communist, anarchist, socialist, capitalist, conservative, liberal, Republican, or Democrat. Anyone who self-identifies with a label other than laborer is only doing the FUD work of the 1%. If you are reading this post or if you're listening to my voice, I'm going to put this on a post somewhere. There is a 99.99% chance you have little to no net worth and you are working a job that barely pays enough for you to keep functioning within this society. Therefore, you need to recognize the collective force we are and start identifying as it. Stand the fuck up for yourself like the millions of other Americans who are waking up and doing the same by quitting their jobs and moving on to a better, happier life. You are a laborer, and it's time to stop laboring for others in our current system. Find out who you truly are, what you're made of, and make yourself financially independent. Fuck the system given to us. You're just a number, and the system doesn't care if you're happy or not. Care for yourself because you're the most important. You live in this existence once. Once. So make it count.
pretty intense, right? I want to read to you a segment I found by a man named Kurt Eckenwald, which falls in line with this, the great resignation and the fact that no one wants to work. And it goes, follows as this, the great recognition, resignation is not about people not wanting to work. It's about a dawning recognition that for a large and larger and larger portion of this country, the American dream is dead. And with it, the inspiration of working towards a better future for oneself. Instead, work becomes not the means towards reaching an aspiration, a spouse, children, a home, vacations, personal growth, a retirement. Instead, the greed culture has turned millions of workers into just a means of survival with wages stagnant, healthcare unaffordable, insurance treated as a luxury, paid free time, an impossibility, children unaffordable, homes a dream. Yes, work is important, but not without the promise of a future. Many young people see nothing but 40 years of the same, further enriching the obscenely rich. The system has taught people how to survive without because they don't believe they will ever have. If they reasonably don't believe they will ever be able to afford a house or to raise children and never have group insurance or paid vacation and can make it living with their parents and have already been taught by Mick Resources, which is a real thing, by the way, and Walmart about how to apply for food stamps and Medicaid because those multi-billion dollar corporations know they don't pay enough for their employees to survive and are already getting those benefits and have the choice of just saying, forget it, I'm going to work on my painting or sewing or whatever. I'm tired of being abused by my supervisor. I'm tired of being screamed at by customers for things out of my control. I'm tired of watching adults throw temper tantrums and then being bitched out by my company because I could have handled it better. I can survive without all of this. I can be happier without all of this. I am paid so little. My life won't be that different. That is why we have the great resignation because we, the boomers have endlessly sucked up the capital that could go down to the younger generations only to enrich ourselves and then push down the debt entry level jobs that can be done with a high school education now demand college degrees plus paid unpaid internship experience. So to do almost anything with the possibility of a future, younger generations have to go to college, but to do it, they have to load up on debt. Then we sneer at them when they talk about how terrible, how their terrible wages and horrible debt make home owning impossible. Oh, sure. The children of the rich are fine and their parents sneer. Well, maybe stop buying avocado toast as if a single pleasure in life equals the cost of a home. All of this starts and stops with greed and corporations. Pay more and stop pulling up the ladder. Not all jobs need college degrees. Many years ago, I interviewed Bill Clark, then the National Security Advisor under Reagan. After the interview, I asked him some background and asked what college he got his degree from. Sheepishly, he said he didn't, only had a high school degree. That was in the 1980s. The National Security Advisor to the President of the United States only had a high school education, but I will bet anything that to be the social media voice at Wendy's, no matter how funny you are, you have to have a college graduate with internships in social media, etc., etc. Not all jobs need college degrees. Companies need to stop requiring them requiring them for jobs that don't, and they need to start paying fair wages. And and this is the important part, treating people like human beings. People never wanted to work.
They wanted to invest their effort towards living a better life. And if work doesn't do that, if work merely makes life worse to, to the people who have been taught how to survive without wages so that McDonald's and Walmart and others can shift their wage costs onto the taxpayers, then a great resignation was inevitable. And I firmly believe that this is only going to get worse and worse and worse for these multi-billion dollar companies. We need to wake up. We need to pull together and we need to take back our freedoms. I talked about freedom before and for a lot of people, freedom is just the ability to do stuff. But no one should be a wage slave. No one. I know I know family members that that's all they know is get up and go to work. Get up and go to work. My dad, bless his heart, get up and go to work. Get up and go to work because he never made enough to say, "Hey, I'm just not going to go to work today." When he took vacation, it was to go deer hunting so he could put extra food on the table. That's got to stop. That has to stop. I fear for a world that my daughter has to grow up in, knowing that she's not going to be able to escape this unless we, as a people, as a generation, take a stand and finally tell these stupid fucks, no, enough is enough. No, pay me what I'm worth or do it yourself. I thank you all for listening. Uh, that's the end of this episode. It's it's kind of serious, a little too serious, but hopefully tomorrow is Friday. Hopefully Jeff will be on and we can have something a little bit more lighthearted. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of shifting of things around a little bit. I'm going to pull back on the seriousness for a while, give everybody a chance to breathe. Um, I want to look at other avenues of podcasting and talk about other topics like movies and games and just random thoughts that pop into my head instead of all this. What I was told earlier today as I was discussing this matter with a, a colleague of mine, all of this negativity, I, I said, you know, how much money the top 10%, the top 10 wealthiest people in the world have, in America have, not the world. In America, it's $1.049 trillion. Trillion. T. Trillion. Ten people hold that much wealth. Ten people. There are 724 billionaires in this country holding $4.4 trillion in wealth. Once you start crunching the math... Once you start eliminating the zeros and applying that wealth to even the poverty level people, you understand just how broken this system is. But that's a conversation for another time. Another time. Um, I'm looking at the clock here and I got a few minutes to wrap this up. So I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everybody for joining the social media page, for supporting the show, for keep pushing us forward. We love it. Jeff and I were having a blast doing this, and we're going to make it more lighthearted. We're actually talking about potentially doing a D&D &D podcast. For those that may not know, D&D &D stands for Dungeons and Dragons. You've, everyone's heard of that. We're thinking about doing just an episode a month or every couple of weeks where we are running through a campaign together. And it's a campaign I've written or I'm working on writing. 
and we're going to play through it and see how it works and talk about things that actually interest us instead of deep, dark, and dour. Anyway, that's the show for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate all of your support. Jeff will be here tomorrow, hopefully, or I have to go drag his ass out of bed. And we're going to have some fun. We are going to have a lot of fun. Anyway, thank you all for listening, and good night, and bless. Like, like bless you. I'm not religious, so I can't say God. Ah, fuck it. God bless you. Bye. That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of Elise, Jeff, and myself, we thank you for your love and continued support. If you want to support us further or chime in on the discussion, you can find us at Facebook at Talk is Cheap. That's why we have a podcast. Or on Instagram at Talking underscore Cheap. Be sure to tell your friends, like our content, and share it. The best way we know how to do our job is for you guys to tell us what works and what doesn't. Anyways, love you all, appreciate all your support, and we will talk to you again soon.